I can't tell you how much I enjoyed saying touch them all. Way back and gone. Touch them all, Joe Maurer. And now these guys are making it relevant to this year's Twins. Now our two resident hardball nerds will attempt to touch them all on the week's news surrounding the Twins in MLB. Here's Phil Mackey and Derek Wetmore. All right, welcome to the Touch Em All podcast where after the Twins' first series against the Baltimore Orioles and specifically the Jose Barrios gem, his first complete game, his first career shutout, Derek Wetmore, a million things to talk about already. I mean, number one, it's actual baseball that we get to dissect, but the Twins and Orioles gave us a lot to dissect over these past four days. They did, and I don't want Barrios to start to get lost in the shuffle. Um we can talk a lot about the controversy over the bunt, which I think is ridiculous. Oh, my God. But, but, like, Barrios was great. I mean, you can't really take that away from him. We saw him working with his fastball on Sunday, and that was the biggest pitch for him. But what really makes him fascinating, and, and I think why Twins fans have been so excited about Barrios for a number of years, because it's not just the fastball with him. He's got the four-seamer that he could run to 95-96, He's got the two-seamer that darts and dives. He's got two different breaking balls, which he doesn't get enough credit for. Oh, and then he's got a pretty good changeup that he busts out every once in a while. So it was uh, it was an encouraging first start for Barrios on Sunday, and he basically he made the, the Orioles look like a minor league lineup. So encouraging is a conservative word. I mean, yes, <laughs> yeah. it was right. it was it was everything you thought he would eventually be capable of against a really good lineup. They're gonna I mean they're gonna face better lineups, but Chris Davis, Manny Machado, uh, Adam Jones, that breaking ball he threw to Andrew to Andrew Jones to Adam Jones to end the game. Yeah, it started off. I mean, de- depending on. Your vantage point, if you're Adam Jones in that spot, and I don't know, I mean, it looked like a really tight spinning breaking ball, but it looked like it might have been headed for the inside portion of the plate, belt high, and it dives halfway through the other batter's box. Yeah. It's un- like to have to be able to throw that pitch is so unfair to hitters, and he can command it. He- what I also love too. And and the the broadcast crew, uh, Dick and Burt, pointed this out right away when the game started. Manny Machado was the second hitter right out of the bat. And he threw two tailing two-seam fastballs in the first four pitches to Manny Machado right on the knuckles. Yeah. And and uh, Bramer and Blylevin, specifically Bramer, were kind of debating, well, did he did he try to, like, is it intentional that he's you know trying to move him off the plate so that he can work him on the outside corner? I think it was absolutely intentional. Yep. I think it's brilliant pitching. If you throw that type of stuff and you can throw 93-94 in on someone's hands, make them uncomfortable. And Manny Machado was was visibly uncomfortable and annoyed by those pitches. And sure enough, later in the at-bat, like he's taking these weak defensive swings and or just swinging and missing. I just thought like from the very get-go, it was it was brilliant pitching combined with great stuff. And hopefully for the Twins, it's a sign of... Maybe a guy taking a, another step into, you know, Cy Young territory here, which he's perfectly capable of doing. Derek. Yes. Yeah. Well. So two things off this: one on Cy Young, and the other on uh, his Cy Young contending teammate Jake Odorizzi. First on the Cy Young thing, Barrios told me in spring that that's absolutely one of his goals. He said that uh, first goal of his for this season, and I wrote a column about this. Something like. 
Boreos isn't shy about sharing his lofty goals. And this has been the case every single year that he's just opened up and said, yep, here's what I think. Here's what I expect for myself. I've got very high expectations and uh, not like he's being cocky, but just uh, he sets very, very ambitious goals for himself. And one of them this year was, okay, help the Twins get back to the playoffs, uh, be a pitcher in the All-Star game, win 20 games or or pitch 200 innings i can't remember he had one of the uh classic 20 20 games i think yeah. is what you told me yeah i think yeah. he had one of the like classic pitcher line things that he wanted to get well then okay he said if i do all those other things if i accomplish those goals then i hope to be in consideration for the cy young award and yeah like absolutely you'd be if you look how you looked on sunday jose you're going to be just fine come Cy Young voting time. Um, the second point I want to make quickly is Barrios' start was similar in ways to what Jake Odorizzi did on opening day, but obviously more dominant. Like, there's just the swing and miss stuff. Odorizzi got away with a lot of fastballs on opening day, and I, I think that's a big part of his game is elevating fastballs and jumping over the bat. But Barreos just has more electric stuff. So I think if you're looking at quote-unquote upside, you would say like the ceiling's a little bit higher for Barreos. But in both cases, I think each of those starters has more in his repertoire than what he even needed to use in his first start. Because against the Orioles, I'm telling you, these guys were fastball heavy, especially in two-strike counts where they were sort of in charge of things. Both felt like they could just kind of use their fastball, spot it. In Braille's case, it's a lot of movement. In Odorizzi's case, it's just the verticality to be able to say, okay, you're probably expecting this like at your belt. I'm not going to give in. I'm going to give it to you at your shoulders and dare you to go up and get it. And he got a lot of swings and misses with that pitch. Um, so I'm very, very curious, after a good start for each of those guys, very curious to see what the next turn brings. Are they going to go more to their secondary stuff now that they've set the stage with their fastball and start number one? Yeah, well, here's another thing, too. I was actually, uh, I was during the game, I was driving to and then from an Easter gathering, so I also listened to the radio broadcast crew, uh, our buddies Corey Provis and Dan Gladden. And Gladden pointed out something in, like, the third or fourth inning, I want to say, and it's the ultimate sign of respect and also sort of fear if you're a lineup doing this, That and this is why Jose Barrios had 88 pitches going into the ninth inning of, a, of an eventual shutout, that Orioles hitters were swinging early at the fastball, yeah. first pitch, trying to jump on him early and ambush him, and as Gladden pointed out, that usually means they're afraid to get to two strikes because they don't know if they can get on base if they get deep into account. There's some pitchers that it's advantageous, like the Orioles have a couple of these guys, Dylan Bundy, Kevin Gausman, that they have high walk rates, and they don't have great command and control, so you want to take pitches and get, get that count to 2-1, and 2-0, and 3-1. Oh, and one. Barrios, if you sit there and take pitches and he's locked in, and this is different than when he first came in the league when he was nibbling too much, it's going to be one and two, zero oh and two, and now you're in a in a huge bind because he's got three out pitches yes. that, incl- including just a four seam fastball down the middle. Like he was doing that too. Later in the game, he'd get two strikes or or he'd whatever it was, he'd fall behind or get two strikes on uh, some of the best hitters in that lineup, and he would just pump a fastball yep. right down the middle because okay, we're up by seven runs, and I'm going to throw a fastball to you, uh, Jones or Machado. Right. So I thought that was interesting, and just to play off your point about upside and potential Odorizzi and Barrios, 
and uh, and Phil Hughes will add to this if and when he comes back into this rotation. The four current twin starters in the rotation, so Odorizzi, Jose Barrios, Kyle Gibson, and then Lance Lynn's going to make the next start, and then Phil Hughes would be that. Irvin Santana will be back at some point, but all five of those guys are first-round picks or sandwich picks between the first and second round. Yeah. So all of them at one point early in their careers or currently were regarded as you know, among the best arms or talents in the world when they were drafted. So I don't think you'd look at any of them. Barrios maybe is different, but I don't think you'd look at the other four now and say, oh, man, you know, they're all destined to be number one or number two starters. But my point is that I think there's a lot more potential when you just look at the raw talent and the previous stock of all of these guys and if the Twins really do have their ducks in a row as an organization and they're going to raise the bar and squeeze more toothpaste out of the pitching tube, then the former first-round picks would seem to benefit quite a bit from that. Wow, that was a lot of cliches squeezed into one sentence there. I Phil. know. That's impressive. It was it was like three of them. <laughs> it wasn't quite Ron Garden higher level, but it was, it was pretty close. Hey, so one thing that I'm thinking when you talk about ambushing the fastball, I see that, and I think one of two things. I see it against... Uh, well, take your pick. Barreos in this case, but like Chris Sale. All right, if you're swinging first pitch fastballs against Chris Sale, uh, you know, in the middle of July when he's on one of his runs where he's just mowing down lineup start after start, I think, okay, these hitters are afraid to get to one or two strikes. They're, they're, basic, they're afraid to get behind in the count. They're going to hunt a fastball early, try to do damage. They know that might be their best pitch to hit is his uh, strike one offering or, you know, his fresh count offering where he comes with a fastball trying to get ahead. The other thing I see when I see teams ambushing the fastball is maybe you just have a bad fastball like Andrew Kasher and you want to jump all over it. I thought that was really telling in game two. I mean, the fact that Andrew Kashner is their second starter, I get it. Alex Cobb's not ready to go to start the season, but the fact that he started Game 2 against the Twins and looked that overmatched against a good Twins lineup, like, don't get me wrong, this is a good lineup top to bottom, but still, there's one at-bat in the middle of the game, Kashner versus Sano, and he gets ahead 0-2 on Sano, and Sano just, like, doesn't look worried at all. He fouls off a couple pitches, <laughs> takes a couple balls. Kashner tried to sneak a fastball inside, and Sano's just like, nope, nope, you're not getting in there, bud. Takes the fastball and pulls it over the left-field wall. Uh, he's a strong guy. He hits another home run the other way on Sunday. And I guess my only point is that I think there's two types of pitchers that you try to swing early in the count. One, you try to swing early because you don't want to get late. That would be Jose Barrios. The other is you try to swing early because you want to get your ribbies before they go to the bullpen. And that would be Andrew Kashner. Dude, there's, there's, there's like a handful of pitchers every year in the major leagues, and Mike Pelfrey was always one of these guys, that I just wonder, why is this guy getting another chance as a starting pitcher? Yeah. Is it just because at one point he had a high stock? I mean, and, and I look now I look at Kashner's numbers with Texas last year, and he had a 3.5 ERA, but his expected ERA was closer to 5. He had 4.5 strikeouts per 9 innings, and every time I watch him, I probably watched 10 Andrew Kashner starts in my life. And every one of them I've thought, my God, these hitters are teeing off on him or at least feel comfortable enough swinging out of their cleats on every pitch he throws. Yeah. It's ridiculous. I mean, he's not the guy he once was. Like, I look at him now and I think, that Baltimore team, 
they might score some runs with like Machado and Scope and if Davis gets things going, but man, are they going to have a tough time in the starting rotation? And they've got some good relievers too. I, I like uh, I like Brad Brock. I like Darren O'Day, obviously, and Michael Givens. And if Zach Britton gets back healthy. That's I mean that's pretty good bullpen right there. But their starting rotation leaves something to be desired. I think the Twins did well. Um, I think they did well to take two out of three from Baltimore. Um, I, I have a quick question for you, and I think I know your answer, and then maybe we wrap with this uh, Chance Cisco bunt controversy. Um, yes. I've gotten this question several times, which is the only reason I'm bringing it up to you. Are you worried at this point, three games into a 162-game season, are you worried about Logan Morrison? No. <laughs> okay. No. All right, just checking. I mean, it's three games. It's three games into the season. I know it. He, I think. He, I, I think his style at the plate, which is, it's what it's got to be eighty percent pull based on the way defenses play him. Yeah. And there was there was a. I think it was his last at bat of the game, and he he's hitless so far on the season. I, I'd say ask that question again in about two or three weeks, yeah. and he'll he'll probably have some home runs by then. Yeah. But um, but if you're wondering. You know, how versatile is Logan Morrison's offensive repertoire? Well, you've got the entire Orioles defense basically, like, shaded to the right field corner. Uh, it's like there's no defenders left of second base. Right. It's, you know, it's classic. Well, they had they had one infielder just to the left of second base. Yeah. Uh, and, it's, and it was a fastball probably two inches off the outside corner. And he still pulls it into the shift yes. on the other side. Yes. You know, it was when when that pitch was thrown. I'm thinking, oh man, that's a great pitch to just smack down the line for a double. Which, to the Twins' credit, over the weekend and they and with Rosario, with Kepler, yes. with Morrison. I mean, half their lineup, uh, you know, warrants a shift, an extreme shift by the opposing team's defense. And uh, Rosario dropped a bunt down. Kepler had a nice piece of hitting. It was either the first or second game of the series. He poked one down the line for a double. Yeah, so second game. I love it. I th- and that that's probably a good segue into the Cisco conversation here too. But um, I, I'm not going to. Obviously, teams are shifting with confidence, and that you're not going to overhaul your swing and just be able to drive an outside pitch down the line. Because if you were good enough to drive an outside pitch down the line, it wouldn't warrant a shift. Right. You just hit that way more often. Right. Uh, but I'm but I'm all for. Once in a while, altering your swing or dropping a bunt down. If they're going to give you a single, take the base. Maybe not every time because you definitely want volume of production. You definitely want home runs and doubles. And, you know, you shouldn't just be bunting down the third baseline every time you're up. But once in a while, it totally makes sense. And I'm, yes. you know, I'm pleasantly surprised to see the Twins take advantage of that a couple. Now, is Logan Morrison the guy who's going to drop a bunt down? I doubt it. Um, but I'm, to answer your question again, no, I'm not worried after three games right. for, uh, about a guy who strikes out a lot and mostly just hits for power. Okay, so that's the official stance of the Touch em All podcast. Just three games into the season, we are not concerned about Logan Morrison uh, <laughs> being on the schneid. Uh, let me ask you, you said you were driving. I don't know if you were in the car for this part, but I will I'll replay the ninth inning of what happened in what was then a one-hit shutout going for our guy J.O. Barreos. And it stirred up some people, I think, on the TV broadcast, on the radio broadcast, certainly reading some quotes from reporters out of the postgame clubhouse. There are some Twins players that are upset at this, and I just think it's the biggest pile of baloney that I've heard. Uh, Here's the situation, and tell me if I'm wrong. 
Ninth inning starts, Pedro Alvarez pops out to short. Okay, one out in the ninth inning, twins up seven rip. Baltimore has two outs to go, and they have just one hit on the day. It belongs to catcher Chance Sisko. Yeah. Catcher Chance Sisko comes up, and on the first pitch, the Twins shift him an extreme infield shift that had only Miguel Sano on the left side of second base, and even he was, like, on top of the bag. And Sisko drops down a beautifully executed bunt down the third base line, picks up a base hit, get yourself on base, you're down seven runs. You've got to scratch and claw your way on any way you can, and Cisco did that. Now, we can, here's the rest of the inning. Davis walks and Machado signals. Eventually, the Twins get out of it. No runs. They win 7 nothing. Boreos gets the shutout, the first of his career. It was a dominant performance. I don't want to lose sight of that. Yeah. But this could be seen as a violation of the unwritten rules wherein you don't bunt that late in the game just to try to get on base. It's like some people are saying it's like, you know, the NBA team that takes a three with time expiring when they're down 20. What are you trying to do, cover the spread? But then the other school of thought is, hey, seven runs is not an insurmountable lead. You haven't been able to scratch anything across against Boreos all day. You might as well take advantage of this huge gaping hole that the Twins chose to put on the left side of the infield. My personal opinion, Phil, is you're being a bit of a crybaby if you put the shift on and then get mad at somebody for taking advantage of it. Am I am I a crazy person, or are we on the no. same page with that as well? We're on the same page. I saw some of the same quotes coming out. I know Brian Dozier said that uh, hopefully the Orioles talked to him about, and I'm sure a couple other People were mad about it, too. It's absurd. Well, let's let's put it this way, too. Okay, it's 7 to nothing. So if your stance is, as if you're the Twins and your stance is, well, wait a second. It's 7 nothing. It's a blowout. It's bad sportsmanship and a bad look, and it goes against the unwritten rules to try and pull a fast one and drop a bunt down, you know, making it easier to get on first base in that spot. Well, then... Shouldn't it also be against unwritten rules to shift when you're up seven to nothing? <laughs> right, right. Wait a second. Okay. Well, we're gonna we're we're yeah. I know the game is in hand here, and our pitcher is unhittable today. But we're still gonna make it really hard for you to get a hit. We're gonna shift over this way, despite the fact that the game's pretty much over. So I'm with you. Yeah. Even if it, I don't care if it's fifteen to nothing. St- you're all professional athletes. Everything is in play until the game is over. Don't be offended. It's absurd. I, I, I just I don't understand this whole. Like, so when when can I steal a base? When can I bunt? It's all part of the game. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to score runs for my team that's trailing, and you're trying to prevent me from scoring runs. And anything that falls within the parameters, the legal parameters of baseball, should be allowed. Yeah. Like it's 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 baseball. While while one hundred percent my favorite sport has so many thin-skinned, unwritten rules. Like, if if I celebrate a home run with too much enthusiasm, the retaliation is someone's going to throw a 95-mile-an-hour rock at my chin, yeah. right? Like, it's so dumb. Yes. So, I, you know, hey, listen, Twins, you got out of it. You shifted on, on Cisco. Uh, you left it open for him to drop a bunt down. Next time, maybe when you're up 7 to nothing, just don't shift. Yeah. Okay? Like, so in that spot, is he not supposed to hit a ground ball up the middle either if you don't shift? Well, hey, 
That's not fair. We didn't have a guy we there. Shift, we we, we would have shifted you. Like it's <laughs> yeah, it's I just I don't know. It's ridiculous it's, to me. I think it's a bit of an embarrassing stance to take, and I don't think the veterans in Baltimore's lineup should even have to talk to Cisco. But maybe now they should. Maybe they should say, "Hey, bud, you did the right thing." But I think the analogy that that I liked the most came from our buddy Matthew Collar. It's like a basketball team that totally forfeits the three-point line and just like stacks the paint and says, okay, shoot over us. I dare you. And then the Houston Rockets hit 43s in a game and run you out of the gym and you get mad because they were taking three-pointers. Like, there's no code. You set up your defense to try to strategically maximize your percentage chance of winning that game. And Chance Cisco did the exact same thing. He's just wearing different colors on his uniform. Yeah. And now you're upset about it. I think. I think. Well, that- what about let me let me take that analogy and morph it. All right, so it's a basketball game, and uh, and it's the Rockets, and it's the uh, I don't know the Blazers, and the Rockets are packing the paint, or the Blazers are packing the paint defensively and daring the Rockets to shoot threes. Oh, but the Blazers are also up by 25 points, and so really, it, like it's. Against the written rules to shoot that three, even though we're packing the paint and daring you to shoot a three. It's like, okay. It's dumb. What, what am I supposed to do? I'm sorry. Am I supposed to run into your defense while also down by 25 points? No, I'm going to shoot a three. Yes, it's, it's dumb. It's, get over yourself. Yes, I think, well, so I, it's totally possible that you're just, you caught some athletes in the heat of the moment there. You get just get finished with a shutout and thinking, boy, this is great. And you got to kind of like puff out your chest and you're still, you know. You're in the walk series or the walk game of the series, so you're about to get on a plane, feeling pretty good about yourself, and you know you maybe take a parting shot at uh, this Chance Cisco kid. But I think cooler heads will prevail, and nothing's going to come out of this. I'll tell you this: here's the controversy: if Chance Cisco gets plunked the next time the Twins and Orioles play each other, I'm I'm not rooting for that outcome because I think that uh, unnecessarily putting people in injury risk is a bad thing for the game of baseball. But in like a perverse way, I'm almost rooting for that to happen just so that I can get a free column talking about what a clown show it is for the Twins to get mad <laughs> at something like so strategically obvious that Cisco would do. I I know we're going to have listeners, Phil, who are going to get mad at this, but I really hope that the majority of them are on the right side of this debate frankly there's a right side and a wrong side and it's very very black and white to me that one one opinion is just sort of based in ego and like unfounded machismo and you've just got this like code of ethics that you made up and that everyone just sort of like tacitly agrees to and then there's the right side of the debate, which is, hey, if you're going to try to like bend the rules in your favor, then I'm going to fight back. And and the Orioles did that. I give them credit, and I also give Boreos credit for rising above and getting through it anyways. So that's my take. Yes. Um, I, I have a stat of the week for you, which is going to be brought to you by our friends at Luther Brookdale Toyota, keeping this podcast uh, on every week during the twin season. And by the way, you can... Get a test drive. Some of these 2018 Camrys are uh, they're pretty badass. They've got upgraded exterior. They've got technology that 
will uh, raise your eyebrows on the interior. They've got an interior system called the Entune system. It's it's version 3.0. It's a touchscreen. It connects your phone to your car. You can I mean you can make dis- dinner reservations uh, on the touchscreen in your car. Not that you should be doing that when you're driving because that would be dangerous, but. Uh, but go stop in and say hi to our friends at Luther Brookdale Toyota. If you're in the Twin Cities, it's on the corner of 694 and Brooklyn Boulevard and LutherBrookdaleToyota.com. Here's the stat of the week, Derek Wetmore. 21 innings for twin starting pitchers in Baltimore. Five hits allowed, yeah. including a chintzy, unethical bunt. <laughs> I'm, 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 it's really four hits allowed, if not for that dirt bastard chant cisco jeez <laughs> well and you could make 20 <laughs> i think you could really make the argument too that that ball that eddie rosario dropped on the track in left field could have been ruled an error so three hits three hits yes they're cheating and they still can't get more than three hits all weekend embarrassing <laughs> hey last stat of the week too i ran the numbers uh, i sent this to our folks at the uh, stats and information department at 1500 espn and our official stats gurus got back to me with uh the on pace stat which is always our favorite phil through oh it's the best through three games of the season twins starting pitchers now on track for a 0.00 era which i'm told would be a major league record that would be very impressive lance lynn the pressure's on buddy (laughs) you're up 